we have a veritable smorgasbord of, I think that's how you pronounce that, of topics for you today, mostly provided by you, the listener. We're going to talk about CBD oil, boycotts, a couple voicemails from you. We'll get started on today's Corey Truax Show. This is the best thing, the best thing that could be happening, and I think you Very genuinely, I'm excited to get to this microphone because today will be the inaugural edition where we are going to play a voicemail from a listener. And that's going to encourage you to get into the show and and give us voicemails as well to to play. I've had others leave voicemails, some of them much too long. And sometimes I was bad about checking them and people would leave voicemails and uh, the the sensitivity of the topic would wear off before I actually went and heard the voicemail. Uh, but today, we're going to get to that and a lot of other listen- listener feedback. Just to give you some examples, I've been asked, do I believe in the rapture? Should Christians use CBD oil? What about the song Old Town Road? Why did I think the death penalty was appropriate for rapists? Uh, should we boycott Netflix? These are a bunch of questions from you, the listener. I want to try to get to all of those. I also want to talk about this Martin Luther King story that has broken here recently with some revelations about his life when he was on on the planet and alive, and then the Justin Amash story and uh, how we think through a potential impeachment and the ramifications of what Justin Amash has said, the representative Justin Amash has said about impeachment. So I want to try to get to all of that today. But first, my name is Corey Truax. We are dedicated to smarter, deeper, better talk about everything here on the Corey Truax Show. I'm also the pastor for teaching at Beachwood Church. Beachwood Church meets in Greenville, South Carolina on 123 in Greenville on Sunday mornings. You are cordially invited to join us 1030 any given Sunday morning. I'm also preaching the entire month of June. That is inaccurate. I am not preaching every day of June. I am preaching all of the Sundays in June. That is the more accurate way to say that. And we're starting a Mark series, so you are invited. Love to have you out. Oh, what was my last note? Yeah, there's my last note. South Carolina Connections. South Carolina Connections with Corey Truax. That is my other podcast from Palmetto Family Podcast Network. You can find that show everywhere you find this show, and I certainly hope you will. Before we get into this listener feedback, I do want to have a very quick word because we got to move. That it's, if you're listening to the show live, it will be on June 8th on WLFJ 92.9 FM. If you are listening to the show, the podcast version, you are listening to it around or maybe on June 6th. June 6th, 2019 is the 75th anniversary of the most harrowing military event in the United States history. It's a top five or top ten most incredible military endeavor in the history of humankind. And that was D-Day, landing on the beaches of Normandy. The greatest men the country has ever seen and what they undertook there. And so if you are one of my older listeners, I have some of you, let me encourage you, don't let your kids and grandkids forget it. Find a way to bring it up and re- and recognize for our younger group all this cool stuff we have, our iPhones and our Netflix accounts and our Apple Music and the Internet, Amazon, all of this cool stuff we have. It was secured by a generation of men and women who sacrificed with that word right there. They, they did not, in our modern sensibility, they didn't owe anybody anything. But they felt a debt to their country just because they felt so fortunate to have been born American. 
that they don't, I don't even know that they felt like sacrifice. I've gotten to talk with some World War II vets and just people from that generation, and we are so quickly losing that generation just to natural causes. I mean, there's only so many people from that were in their teens and 20s and 30s in the, in the 1940s left on the planet. Treasure them, value them, and let's learn from them. And remember them this week. The greatest endeavor in American military history fueled by men and women who sacrificed for the greater good. And let us appreciate them. And if you, you know any of the folks from that generation in your life, say so. Say it out loud. Find a way to get your kids to understand the, the consequences of it. And let's be people that remember it well. All right, I wanted to do that at the top of the hour. Good friend Glenn reminded me this week that that was coming up, and it is the 75th anniversary of that very important day. Here we go. Zach has left us a voicemail. Actually, two. I'm going to try to do both here. Uh, so I'm going to let him speak for himself with a good question, and then we're going to come back and respond to it. If you think, hey, that's cool. I want to do that. I want to leave a voicemail so it can be played on the show, and I want to give Corey my thoughts. Well, you can do that. Just download the Anchor app. Anchor.fm is the website, or you can go on your iPhone or your Samsung device, your uh, Android device, and you can download from your app store, whatever you guys call it, Google Marketplace, whatever. Download the Anchor app, and then you can leave me a voicemail just like Zach did. And here is that inaugural moment, the first voicemail played on the Corey Truax Show. Here's Zach. Sorry if I talk fast. I'm not sure I can get this in in one minute, but I had an idea for a segment I'd love to hear about culture and Christianity and what you'd believe to be essential doctrine. Um, Because I am curious whether or not somebody, say, um, who's introduced to Christianity through Mayor Pete Buttigieg. I'm going to interrupt Zach really quickly. So if you guys don't know, Mayor Pete Buttigieg, jig, gig, Mayor Pete, he is running for president on the Democratic side. He calls himself a Christian. He is also a open homosexual who was married to a guy. And so Zach asks a very insightful question there about, or he's about to ask a very insightful question about Mayor Pete Buttigieg. He was younger and uh, outside of the normal Christian scope, per se, could find Christianity, believe everything uh, I believed, and then also that Pete Buttigieg is um, going to be saved. And is that, so if they were not homosexual themselves, could they believe that homosexuality is not a sin and be saved? Is it essential doctrine? So I am curious, and thank you very much. Good question, Zach. So to lay out that question really succinctly, is it possible for someone to come to genuine faith in Jesus? They are a believer. They are redeemed. It is a real faith. But to hold to Pete Mayor Pete's view of sexuality and sexual ethics? The answer to that is no, not over time. So what I would say to that person who is introduced to the faith by Pete Buttigieg, they don't know about Christianity or they've written off Christianity and then Pete Buttigieg comes around and he says he's a Christian and so they, they are now drawn back to looking into the claims of the Bible, the claims of Jesus, and they repent of their sin, they are part of a local church, they start following after Christ, they're getting into the Word. So if I ran into that person and they said, you know, what really revolutionized my faith 
is uh, Mayor Pete, uh, was he was talking about Christianity, it had me looking back into it, and, and that's how I came to faith. Well, the if that person who is new in the faith says, and I, I also think the sexual ethic is that the, that Mayor Pete's right about that, that uh, sexuality is, uh, and homosexuality is to- totally ordained of God. If I had a new Christian say that to me, what I'm going to have is a lot of patience. I'm not going to, I'm not going to be mean to that Christian. The same way that I'm, guys, I've had, um, I've talked to new Christians who were addicts of other things, who were addicts in um, uh, substances. And so as the, as the Bible would say, don't be controlled by anything but the Holy Spirit. Well, we're by, by sanctification the, and the transforming of the renewal of the mind that Romans 12, yeah, that's it, Romans 12 says, well, I believe that that, his, that person's salvation is going to prove itself. And the way that person's salvation is going to prove itself is that their mind is going to be made more in the image of God, in the image of Christ, through the Bible. So if a, if a year in to that person claiming they're, they're, they've come to faith in Jesus, and they've been taught, they've been taught through Genesis, they've been taught through the New Testament, they've been taught through the full sexual ethic, that sex is a good gift from God to be enjoyed only in the bonds of matrimony between a man and a woman, if they've come to that understanding and they've changed their mind, then, man, that person's faith is genuine. But if someone has been taught the clear truth of Scripture and says, no, I reject that, like Pete Buttigieg does, like uh, there there are others, uh, the guy that wrote God and the Gay Christian, Matthew Vines, who says, no, I reject that. Well, what's true is no. They were never actually really saved. They never actually came to repentance and faith. They, were, they started following a Jesus that they made up. They made up a Jesus that they really liked, and oddly, that Jesus looks exactly like them. That Jesus thinks all the same things they think. And so they followed after an image of themselves. They slapped the name Jesus on it, and it wasn't a genuine faith anyway. Same thing for, for all of us. We come to faith with some ideas that are the wrong ones. But uh, that faith will prove itself genuine, by our following after biblical doctrine and seeing there's a transforming by the renewal of our mind. So, if someone is introduced to Christianity through Pete Buttigieg, praise God for it. I genuinely, I mean that. Praise God that he can use any circumstance to bring those to faith and repentance. But the way to judge the verity of that faith and repentance would be whether or not that person's mind has changed uh, and made in the image of the Bible um, in and if they're comporting themselves that way, good question, Zach. Zach has a second question that I want to play for you. And again, highly encouraging you, do what Zach did. Get the Anchor app. I mean, I'm going to read some of your other questions today, but he actually gets to be on the show. That's sort of cool. So leave me a voicemail. We can talk about what you want to talk about. Here's question number two from Zach. Continuing from my last point, I had one more question about culture and Christianity do you think that popular culture does more of a help or hindrance to Christianity? Um, so say rappers um, is probably the newest wave of this, kind of including more of a Christian theme um, overtones to outright like explicit Christian messaging and Bible verses in songs. Is that helping or hurting when they do that, but they also sing very explicit music? 
um, i.e. Kanye and like Jesus Walks and all of his other music to like the more recent wave where Chance the Rapper sings like Blessings and How Great uh, with literal gospel choirs, but then also like No Problems with a lot of profanity. Um, yeah, what are your thoughts on that? Good Bye. question again. Uh, yeah, it's a, it does damage. There's no good to it whatsoever. What was so great about old pagan times, and yeah, that's a sentence I said, is when people were worshiping their false god, they gave it a name. It was Baal. It was Zeus. It was whatever the god was. The issue we're having is this muddying of the water where people do have a false god. Kanye has a false god, it seems. It seems that these rappers have a false god, but they're using our god's name. They're using our god's name, and so it's confusing. And it and that's why it's detrimental. There's no benefit to the Jesus walks. There's no benefit to folks like even Katy Perry or Chance the Rapper that have done some things with some biblical imagery and heavenly imagery. That just confuses everything, and it confuses the world, and we have to unravel that confusion. And so uh, I actually have been bothered by some Christians who seem to be encouraged by it. Like, isn't it great that they're using this kind of Christian theme? No, it's terrible. Because we don't want this fake Americanized Christianity that someone made up. We want the real one. And because we want people to have the real one, because that's the best thing for people. And so in pop culture, when they use those symbols, it is only damaging to the human soul. And I wish they would quit. Hey, be like Zach. Get the Anchor app. Leave voicemails. Tell me what you think about what I think. We'll play it on the show and discuss it further. I've got a lot more of your questions to go when we return for the remainder of the Corey Truax Show. Hi there. Welcome back to the Corey Truax Show. Connect to the show on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. Look for me, Corey Truax. You'll find me there. And if you're not doing that, I mean this. I say it all the time on the show, and I need to reemphasize it as this very real thing. I know some of you are not on social media for your own conviction reasons. Some of you have told me that. That's all good. Stay off social media if you don't want to be on it. But if you're on one social media site and you're not on the others, Why? That's a good question. And two, Instagram is way better. Like, Instagram is better than Facebook. People are nicer there. So come on over on Instagram. I'm doing a lot on Instagram now, and you can follow along throughout the week, and I'd love to have you there. This show is heavy on your questions, and so we're going to dive back in there right now. I got a question from Kelly on Instagram that asked me this question very simply. Do you believe in the rapture? And so... If, that, if you hear a weird sound in the background that sounds like a crackle, that is the can of worms being cracked open. And so, here we go. If you grew up like I did, you grew up in a theological setting that would have thought the Left Behind books and the Left Behind movies are almost scriptural. Like, that's where we find truth about the end of days. You would have grown up, if you grew up like me, in a dispensational setting. That is a theological system, the, the theological system of dispensationalism. And the idea is that there is a rapture, if you don't know this, and some of you genuinely might not. Like, if you grew up in a Catholic setting, I know some of my listeners say they grew up in a Catholic setting, you might not actually know that there's a group of Christians who think what I'm about to tell you. Um, if you grew up in certain Presbyterian settings, Lutheran settings, you might not actually know what I'm about to tell you. That there is 
a group of a group inside Christianity that believes the following: that at the end of time, there is a seven-year period, a literal seven-year period of tribulation, and that at some point in those seven years, Jesus comes and takes the believers away. Most of these folks believe that Jesus comes and takes these people away at the beginning. So Jesus comes, takes the Christians out, and then a bunch of bad stuff happens called the tribulation. I would ask those who believe this, that believe in this secret rapture, that, or maybe that's not a secret rapture, I guess that's more of a public rapture, and if you watch the Left Behind movies and read the books, it's very public. Like, it's it's an international tragedy. Like There's people who've just disappeared, and they're gone. I would ask those folks, where do you get it? Where do you get that idea biblically? And so I'm going to read to you now the primary place from which folks who believe in the believe that there's a literal seven-year tribulation, Jesus is going to come and take the Christians out, where they get it from. And I need to also mention this historically. There is some evidence that there have been there were some folks in antiquity, in you know, thousands of years of the Bible, that thought something like this. But for the vast majority of Christianity, the church fathers, after you know John and Peter, uh, the, the, the apostles die, and then Polycarp after that that this was not, that the rapture, this idea, it was not an understanding of the early church, and it was not an understanding widely spread in the church at all until the 1800s. And a guy named John Nelson Darby is the one who popularized it. So it's important to recognize that, because here's a good rule of thumb in theology. If it's less than 200 years old, it's probably wrong. It's one of those things that we need to understand in theology. Like, if, if, if you run across a person who says, I have found a new thing. I have found a new truth. You know, Spurgeon didn't find it. Luther didn't find it. You know, uh, John Wycliffe didn't find it. But it was me. I have found it. I have found this new thing that all the church fathers have never seen before. You should look at that person and go, yeah, you're, you're probably a heretic. And walk away. There is, there is some safety in staying with the historic understanding and the church father's understanding of Scripture. And to be clear, while there is some evidence of the rapture being an understanding in antiquity, it is mostly something that came about from John Nelson Darby in the 1850s and 60s. It's a very young doctrine. Those that hold to this doctrine, though, hold to it tightly. And I'm okay with that because I'm going to say this with some humility. They might be right. I mean, this is not a this isn't a fundamental doctrine. Like people who disagree on this, we're all saved. We're all like we're good. If you believe the fundamentals of the faith, but we disagree on how the end of days work and whether or not there's going to be a rapture, then later on in eternity, you can make fun of me because I was wrong, and I'll be like, ah, good job. Hey, we're in heaven. This is great. You know, we're in the new earth. And if you're wrong. I won't make fun of you. I'll just be like walk past you quietly as we're in the new earth together, okay? So there's no reason for everybody to hate each other over it. But I have found this. There is this bias in all of our minds, not just, I'm, I'm, I'm including myself, that there's, there's comfort in thinking 
that the first thing we learned is the correct thing. There's this comfort and idea that, well, my mom, my dad, my grandparents, my preachers, my pastors, they, they had to be right. Because if they weren't, that, that means I could be wrong. And it's, it's this disorienting thing. But we need to have the humility and mental flexibility, intellectual flexibility to recognize that we want that from others. Like the people who disagree with you on a theological matter, even deep things, like let's just go with like a Muslim or Jehovah's Witness or a Mormon or something, they are also emotionally attached to what they believe because it was the first thing they heard. And so they're emotionally attached to the idea of their parents and their ancestors and their grandparents having it all right. And what you want for them is to be open enough, to be honest enough to judge the evidence and not their instinct to want to believe the way I grew up is the right way. Because there's comfort in that. We all want to believe that. We all want to believe the way I grew up was the right one. But there's a lot of people that you wish would do the same thing. You would wish they'd stop thinking the way I grew up was the right way. So you need to be humble enough too to go, well, maybe the way I grew up wasn't the right way. All right, so with that said, this is the primary scripture. I'm going to read it to you. I opened up my ESV Bible to 1 Thessalonians 4. This is a passage in the context. What You know, I'll just read you the context. It's the Bible. It's awesome to read. Let's just do that together. Uh, 1 Thessalonians 4, starting in verse 13. Here's what the Word of God says. Paul writes to the Thessalonians, But we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep or those who are dead, that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. So I'm about to write to you what I'm about to say. It's because when you grieve over your dead, I don't want you to grieve over them the way the world does. They have no hope. So here we go, picking up in verse 14. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, through Jesus, God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep or those who have died. Verse 15. For this we declare to you by a word from the Lord, that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, so until the second coming of Jesus, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ, so those who are physically dead but are in Christ, they will rise first. Verse 17, Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together. There's the term, caught up. That's how a lot of people get to the word rapture. Will be caught up together with them, that's the dead in Christ, would be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord, to meet Jesus in the air. And so will we ever be, and so we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, verse 18, therefore encourage one another with these words. Now, one of the first things we need to do in all Scripture is recognize purpose and genre. What was the purpose of the paragraph? He starts with, hey, we don't want you to be ignorant because we don't want you to grieve over your dead the way the world does. And then the last, the last sentence is, encourage each other with these words. The purpose of the passage is not to give you an end times theology. The purpose of the passage that Paul was writing, he was not trying to get the Thessalonians to think about the end of days and what the rapture was or when it might be, or when the end of time might come. It was a passage of comfort. He was saying, because Jesus has resurrected bodily, you can have confidence that the 
followers of Jesus in Christ will resurrect bodily. And so not in just a spiritual sense, but in a physical sense where you can actually touch and feel and smell and taste. In a physical way, your dead that have gone before you, your dead loved ones, you'll be reunited with them physically. That if Jesus comes right now, they'll come first even, and you'll be reunited with them. So the purpose was not to give you a timeline. The purpose was to give you comfort. That's the, that is the clear purpose of that passage, and guys like Darby repurposed it. Second, the actual text says nothing about rapture. It says we'll be caught up together in the clouds, and forever we will be with the Lord. Okay, so what does that mean? Where will we be with him forever? There actually isn't a directive. There isn't, there is not, a, the text does not show there. Jesus takes us in the clouds and then takes us back to heaven. It also doesn't say we meet him in the clouds and then he comes down to earth. That doesn't do it. That, that text doesn't do it. And if you get to the context in which Paul is writing, the cultural context is Rome. And the way it worked in Rome is when a conquering king, a conquering Caesar, you know, when they would go off to war, if they won, there would be a messenger go back to the to the city first and say, "Hey, we won. Let's get you know, let's get ready. It's I've got good news. It's, it was called the gospel. It was good news of our of our victory." And then the army would come, camp about a mile outside the city, so the city could get ready to throw them their big parade. And then guess what would happen with the conquering king? As they were going to have their parade, the people of the city would go out to meet their king, to meet their their leader, their ruler, and then would walk back into the city together. That's really Paul's uh, symbol here. Paul's, uh, I, I guess the picture he's trying to give them is, just like the, the, the Caesars of Rome, your king is coming. He will call you together to meet him on his way to earth. Because as I, people ask me, do you believe in the rapture? I guess the answer technically is yes, but I don't believe that word means what you think it means. I think Jesus has, and what I believe the Bible teaches, is that Jesus has a second return. He's coming back again, as he said he was, as he said uh, up, up on that hill. He said, as you, as you see me going to the heaven, likewise will I return. That when he comes, he will call us to meet him in the air, and he's going to keep on coming. He's not going to come halfway and to earth and then take us to heaven for a while and then come back for a third time. There isn't any other biblical teaching that talks about three comings of Jesus. He has the two comings. He comes the first time lowly and humble, and he comes the second time as conquering king and warrior to take this earth uh, back back to its rightful owner, his, his father. And so I think that even the rapture people tend to have a teaching of three comings. You got the first coming, of Jesus in the in the manger, second coming, where he doesn't actually come all the way. He comes halfway into the clouds. He takes us up to heaven, and then a whole bunch of stuff happens, and he comes back a third time. And so you you also can get, if you want, Matthew 24 does a little of this. Matthew 24 is Jesus' Olivet Discourse, so that's when Jesus talks about end times a lot. And he has that uh, no one knows the day or the hour, and there's this time coming where there will be one There'll be one left and one that's still uh, and one that's still there. Um, what, what I guess what were those? Past, uh, this is going to be super risky. Me working my memory on this, but it's like there are two women who are grinding at the mill, and one will be taken and one will be left. Uh, I think there was another one that two men will be working in a field, and one will be taken and one will be left. In that 
that context around it, there's really nothing about rapture. Uh, there is about this judgment of the Lord, and the the idea there being that the judgment of the Lord comes swiftly, comes quickly for Jerusalem. And for those of people like me called partial preterists, we tend, we believe that Matthew 24 is actually a prophecy of what's already happened in AD 70 in Jerusalem. And I can paint that picture more more fully. If you are interested in that, if you want me to paint that picture more fully about what Matthew 24 is about, leave me a voicemail, send me a message, and I'll be glad to. So the question, do you believe in the rapture? Uh, sort of. I believe that Jesus is coming back, and when he comes back, he will call us to meet him in the air, and he will be coming down to earth to set up his kingdom, uh, but not the way that the dispensationalists and the premillennialists uh, or the pre, pre-tribulation people believe it, that, we're, that the church will escape some kind of coming judgment on the earth, it's a literal seven years, so no, I'm, I'm not on board with that. Thank you, Kelly, for that question. Number three, this one came from, where's that? Uh, I don't have her name on here, but it was an email to Show at gmail.com, Show at gmail.com, and the email address is weird enough that I don't even want to pull out a name. Okay, so the, I was asked, uh, should Christians use CBD oil? So if you're where I am in the upstate of South Carolina, uh, it's, I would imagine this is the case over a lot of the country. You're seeing these stores pop up everywhere where you can go get CBD oil to treat different ailments, I guess. And I, I'm talking, I, I see CBD oil products at like the register at certain like supermarkets, like it's everywhere. And so uh, because CBD is associated with marijuana and cannabis, it's a good question, especially if you're of the persuasion that that a Christian shouldn't use marijuana, then uh, can we use CBD? So here is where I land, and I, I hope biblically informed on this. The And, and scientifically informed. Marijuana produce, uh, produces a different problem. Where, uh, again, the... I, think I said on this episode once before, I don't remember where... Uh, the, the, the call to the Christian in terms of substances is don't be controlled by a substance. Be controlled by the Holy Spirit. And so when your faculties are controlled by an outside substance, you're not under control of the Holy Spirit. And and marijuana often is different than alcohol, where a lot of folks could have one drink, maybe two drinks, and be in total control of themselves. There's powerful enough marijuana that you're really not in control of your faculties very quickly, and so there's not room for its use at all. But with CBD oil, we're talking about sometimes 0% content of the part of marijuana that causes you to lose your lose control of your of your mind, the, the THC portion. Um, there was, I saw some CBD oil said they had 0.03%. And so whatever medicinal value CBD oil has, I would not place a law on any Christian not to use it because there is no part of it that does any of these two things. It does not seem to be a substance that would have someone be out of control. And second, it doesn't seem like there's any uh, that I can find, that I'm seeing in, this, in the science that I've looked at, that is uh, addictive. Because I would counsel Christians even against using addictive things, like I, people that seem to be addicted to even caffeine or sugar, and, and trying to break those habits, because that's also being controlled. If you're addicted to a substance, if you need it, you're now being controlled by this, controlled by the substance, you don't have your body disciplined and under control of the Holy Spirit. And so, uh, it doesn't seem like CBD oil has any kind of 
addictive properties or that it causes you to lose control of yourself. And so I would give liberty to the Christian. If you want to use it for whatever reason, go ahead. I would I would just say I'm I don't know. I'm skeptical of those things. I love modern medicine. I'm not much into the natural stuff. Like I I love that we have scientifically come come up with all these cool solutions to things. And so when I'm told you can take this natural solution or you can take this drug that a company came up with and spent billions of dollars to create, I'm like I I want the thing with the billions of dollars to create. I bet that thing works cuz they invested a lot in it. But if you're into the natural stuff, it seems to be there's at least some medical evidence that it helps with some seizure situations. Have at it. I, I would not put a a law on your conscience against using the CBD oil if you're getting a benefit from it because it does not meet those standards that we can call sin that were given in the Bible. I have more questions from you. I still want to get to this Justin Amash impeachment uh, take and also the MLK story. So a lot more to do when we return for the rest of the Corey Act show. Welcome into the final segment of the Corey Act show for this week. Glad you are here. If you would be so kind, continue this awesome streak that we are on, where I'm getting a lot of listener feedback lately. The numbers of the show are growing, and so if you send in questions on the Anchor app through the voicemail, or you can write to the show at Show at gmail.com. You can also direct message me on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. Any of those are helpful, because then we're serving you, the listener, and I would love to do that. Uh, I do like to serve the listener, but one of the best ways to serve the listener is, uh, I'm about to say it, it'll, it'll sound arrogant, I don't mean it to sound arrogant, but there's a couple thousand people that come to listen to the show every week. And I think you come and listen because you just, you like the way I say things. I think a lot of times you don't even like the opinion. I think it's the, maybe the fair-mindedness that often comes, or uh, the variety of topics. But for whatever reason, you like the way that I say what I say. And this is why I never get discouraged, by the way. I've, I've gotten a couple of these lately. Um, a couple of emails. And, well, when, when was this? I can't remember what episode I did, but I got a couple. Oh, yeah. I had, uh, when I had the, um, I had my friend on, Nathan McDowell, who expressed a lot of opinions that people didn't like about uh, uh, intersectionality and some left-wing things. And I love that stuff. When I hear things I disagree with, my blood pressure doesn't go up. I don't freak out. I love hearing things I don't agree with. It makes me sharper. But I had a couple of people say, you know, I, I, I just can't listen to you anymore. If you're going to entertain that stuff, I can't listen to you. And to which I responded, bye. Like, respectfully, bye. If, I mean, I guess I want more listeners, I guess. But I, I want a community of people who are interesting and are interesting in hearing new things. And so, and it really, and truly, the person who has the instinct, well, I'm not listening to you anymore. I wonder, how did you ever listen to me in the first place? If your attitude can ever be, well, I just don't want to hear what you're, I don't want to hear different thoughts. I was never the show for you in the first place. You should find somebody who says exactly what you want to hear. So go to Fox or go to CNN and let them tickle your ears uh, so that you can hear exactly your viewpoint puked back at you 
but I'm just not that guy. I love that I've made the left wing mad, and I've made the conservative folks mad, and I've made the pro-Trump people and the anti-Trump people mad, and I've made the charismatics mad and the Calvinists mad. Everybody has had their times with me where they've been joyful and angry. You know what that's called? It's called being fair-minded and interesting. It's not joining a team, putting on your stupid jersey. It's looking at every individual situation and judging it on its merits and not being a part of any tribe because tribes are dumb and they make you dumber. So uh, thank you for listening. Thank you for sticking around with me uh, because you that stick around, like like if I was getting emails that said, hey, I'm not listening to you anymore because of this, and then I saw my numbers dip, I know I would be like, oh, man, I better stop saying what I'm saying. But the numbers don't dip, and so I appreciate it uh, for continuing to be here. And if you would be so kind, leave voicemails, send emails so we can have more of these discussions. And if you have any interest in supporting this show, I mean financially, you can do that on Anchor as well. I tried to figure out how to do it on Anchor. I had trouble. Maybe you're more tech savvy, but at least four or five people are already supporting the show financially. They're just giving giving a donation every month. And if you find it worthwhile, I highly appreciate it if you would do that as well. All right, moving on. Next question I got was from one of my most brilliant listeners and a good friend. Uh, just, and he's like 10 or more than 10 years younger than I am. Yeah, more than 10 years younger than I am. But I mean this. Like, I admire him. His name is Jake. And it's one of those young dudes that you're like, man, I'd like to be like him when he when I grow up. And he's like 21. And he's like, oh, I guess I should probably be already like him because I've grown up. Uh, so, But Jake asks a good question. A couple weeks ago. I did an episode that was all abortion all the time, so we just talked about abortion arguments. And I was trying to make the point that when folks who are pro-abortion say that you don't really care about rape if you're not for allowing women to kill the children of their rapist, then uh, I made the point, I'm so anti-rape, I'm for killing the rapist. Like, I would be okay with the death penalty on rapists. That's how anti-rape I am. Now, two thoughts. One... His que- well, actually, three thoughts. First thought, his question was, how do you determine what crimes you can apply the death penalty to? Actually, yeah, let me actually pull up the actual question. Uh, I definitely don't think the baby should be punished in this situation, but what do you think makes a crime worthy of the death penalty? Obviously, from a Christian perspective, all sin is worthy of death, but how should Christians view the death penalty for breaking the law? So he's asking the question from a civil perspective. So that's part one. That was his actual question. Point two, admittedly, I was making a hyperbolic point at some level. I'm saying, of course I care about rape. So much so that I would entertain the harshest of penalties for the rapist, even including the the, the death penalty. And so my, my purpose in the argument is primarily making the point, I care about rape a whole bunch. Like, it's a big deal to me. But second, I should give some background on this. For years, I was anti-death penalty, period. Like, I would actually make the statement, the death penalty is immoral and it is unjust. My primary argument is that our system is flawed and when it comes to a jury of my peers, I don't have a ton of confidence in my peers. I don't know if you've walked around America much, but we're the people who made reality TV a big thing. I don't know if I want those people deciding who dies and who doesn't. Moreover, I don't have a ton of confidence in judges. They seem to not know what their job is. They make law instead of interpreting it. So my thought was, 
you get, we cannot be killing people through the judicial system because we don't have any confidence in the judicial system. That's too big of a job to give a flawed system to decide life and death. And then somebody, it was my big brother, made the argument to me, your position is utterly unbiblical. The Bible gives the right to governments to punish evildoers even unto death. That that's the purpose God has instituted governments to reward that which is good, to punish that which is evil. And so you cannot inherently say it is immoral because God has given them that authority. To which I said, I don't like it, but fine. If, and he, the, his argument was solid. Like, even my flesh still doesn't like it. I still don't like that Doug was right, but he was right in his argument, and I will submit to it. I'll submit to that point of view. And so, and then in that vein, in the nature of governments, in God's own theocracy, he applied the death penalty to things beyond murder. God has given civil governments the duty to punish evil and to reward good. And so now we as civil governments have to decide what's just and what is unjust in terms of punishment fitting the crime, that a punishment not be cruel and unusual, as the Fifth Amendment says. So for me personally, life for a life is justified. It is a justified idea that if you kill somebody, you can be killed. With rape, you have not committed a murder, but in some ways you've almost... That's a crime that, in, that kills in another way. That could kill a woman on the inside. That's haunting. It's something that God can bring healing to, but it's also one of the most heinous acts a human can take part in. So I wouldn't say I am in favor of the death penalty for rapists, but I would say I am open to it. I'm open to the argument. And that the way I would respond to Jake is, I'm open to hearing the argument for crimes that are fundamentally damaging to human dignity. So I'm even open to hearing it for those that are involved in sex trafficking, human trafficking, that turn people into products so that human dignity itself, that the image of God in someone is so marred that it's not just death that mars them, but things like rape. I mean, the, the, the sexual act is one of the, the most significant human, human relationships. And for that to be forced, it's heinous. And I know you know, I know everyone listening to me knows that. And so I'm at least open to hearing the argument that the rapist, the convicted rapist, convicted by a jury, jury of his peers, should have to face the possibility of the death penalty. I hope that helps clarify a little of my intention and where my line is. Man, we're running out of time. Uh, let's see, which one of these can I do? I got the question about the song. If you haven't heard Old Town Road by an artist who spells his name L-I-L space N-A-S. I refuse to say his name in the colloquial manner. I will pronounce his name Little Nas. Little Nas has written a song called Old Town Road. He got together with Billy Ray Cyrus and they have a version of it. I find the song appalling, simplistic, pedantic, childish, 
dumb. And also, there are kids singing it when one of the lyrics in on the podcast, I can say whatever I want, but to the producer, Mr. Miller at WLFJ, if you have to beep me on what I'm about to say and censor this, fine. I don't think you'd have to, but okay. One of the lyrics is, my life is like a movie of something about race cars and boobies. Like, that's a lyric in the song. And then it's something like, cowboy hat from Gucci, Wranglers on my booty. And there are middle schoolers singing the song. And it's not just that the lyrics are inappropriate. Like, one of the lyrics is, uh, cheated on my baby, and you can go and ask her. Like, this is not a, it's not a good song. Uh, ethically, it's also not a good song musically. It's simplistic. It's stupid. It's just a dumb. It's just a dumb song. It's it is written in a very childish way. Like I feel like children could have written it, but with less, if children would have written it, it'd have been like ice, about ice cream and Pokemon, and it wouldn't be so explicit. So uh, no, someone wrote in about it. With my thoughts about Old Town Road, it's terrible. It makes everyone dumber, and I wish it would go away. I'm not going to do any more listener feedback. I'm le- I'm leaving three joke, uh, three questions on the table I could have gotten to. We'll maybe try to get to those. If you have other things you want covered, please send them in. I'd be glad to take your questions. You can leave voicemails at the Anchor app. You can also email the show at CoreyTruackShow at gmail.com, CoreyTruackShow at gmail.com, or find me on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram, and send me your questions or comments there. It, don't ha- it doesn't have to be questions. You can just make an argument, uh, and I will be glad to take that as well. Between the two of these, I probably only have time for one. Let's do this. Justin Amash, he is my second or third favorite member of Congress. He is arguably the most conservative member of Congress. When you judge conservative to mean what it actually means, that you value the Constitution, you value value free markets, uh, individual freedom, and uh, traditional values and ethics in public life. If, the, if that's what defines conservative, and that's what should define conservative, Justin Amash is one of the most conservative members of Congress. He is awesome. Recently, he tweeted out that he thought it was time to impeach the President of the United States, that there was enough there in the Mueller report to... Uh, not, maybe it doesn't reach the legal standard of obstruction, but it reaches enough of a standard of misdeeds to use the political process of impeachment. And that's an important distinction uh, because you know, for the, the, the grounds for impeachment in the Constitution are high crimes and misdemeanors, and there's no definition of that. So you know who gets to define high crimes and misdemeanors? The Congress. They're the ones that get to define it. And if you actually do read through the Mueller report, it does show uh, the President of the United States behaving very, very badly, very, very unethically. None of that is surprising. He's behaved badly, unethically, and like a garbage human being his whole life because he is a garbage human being. For Justin Amash's purposes, I had several thoughts that emanated from this. I am always open to hearing impeachment thoughts or a charge if you can make the point. But impeachment ultimately leads to the question of removal from office. I wish we had a different mechanism. Like, I love what the Brits have, like they have that vote of no confidence thing where it's not impeachment. It's not just, a, it's not removal you have to send to the Senate. It's the government declaring, we don't think this person is is capable. We, we'd really need to have an election. Like I would be for a vote of no confidence right now. I have no confidence in the guy. But the actual idea of impeachment, I can't get on board with Justin Amash here. As much as I love the guy, 
I just haven't seen, I have not seen behavior that befits that punishment. There's bad behavior. He's a bad guy who's done unethical bad things. He's been a liar. He's done some bad. He's also done some good things, by the way. I should say that. Uh, some of the a lot of the policy gets great, but the uh, the personal character and some of the the ways behavior has been terrible. But not not enough for impeachment. And so, while I love Justin Amash, I'm not on board there. Uh, Bob Mueller, in a related sense, in his press conference, that seemed to be what he was pointing towards. He was pointing towards. I did not have the grounds to do anything legally because those the the standards are higher, but Congress can do it at once, really. It can make its own definition of high crimes and misdemeanors, so he was trying to leave it up to the Congress. The last thought I wanted to get to on this was the reaction to Justin Amash. So here is Justin Amash, one of the only five, five members of Congress to have ever proposed, uh, not have ever, uh, one of the only five members of Congress in the last few years to actually propose spending cuts. Like guys like Ted Cruz, I love him, but he's actually not done that. In his proposals and budgets, they're always a slowing of spending. Like he wants to slow down spending so that tax revenue can catch up and, and then we'll freeze spending eventually. Like Justin Amash is one of the only guys that has shown so much fiscal discipline that he's actually cutting things. He actually gets into entitlements. And I mean, this guy has been so solid on constitutional grounds and trying to restrain what judges can do and how presidents declare war and constitutionally. Like, Justin Amash is the real deal. 100% rating from Freedom Works, like a 98% rating from the American Conservative Union. And here he is, a hero of conservative politics, but he didn't go on Team Orange. He said one bad thing about the Orange Man, and there was a bunch of conservatives ready to throw him overboard. That was the part that troubled me the most, is... One of my big themes and how I want to close the show. I, I started the show talking about D-Day and the generation that gave us that, that monumental effort. Let's be more like them. Let's hold on to our values and our standards and be loyal to ideas higher than any man, ideas higher than any woman, ideas higher than any party or faction, that we are, we are loyal to the ideals and not loyal to any person. That's what Justin, Justin Amash showed and I hope that we can be that way as well. Follow along on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. We've got to get out of here for this. We'll be, this week. We'll be back with another new edition next week. Until then, peace and love.